This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Patrick. Good afternoon, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, we were connected through Chris Martinez from Phalanx, and you're a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and businessman, and you got a whole lot of things going on, of which I'm excited to dig in with you today. Uh, you're in LA, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually morning for me or noon for me, but afternoon for you. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, <laughs> I'm in New York for those of you who are keeping track and yeah, very, very happy to talk to you and was able to check out your website, your YouTube channel. You're putting out some great content and I think you have a really interesting perspective on the sport and a, and a great background. So if you don't mind, before we get into your, uh, where you are today, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up. And uh, sure. get to know you. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, I went to school at the University of Miami in Florida, college. And that was actually where I discovered jujitsu. I went out there to play baseball. I was a walk on uh, to the baseball team. I played two years. I was a catcher. And, uh, and so I was there at the same time as uh, Yasmani Grandal. And so, as you might imagine, I didn't play very much. I was mostly in the bullpen, warming up pitchers, but it was still like a great experience and got all the free Nike stuff and got to be on the baseball team and, you know, have my friends drop that to, to you know, the opposite sex at, at college parties. And it was great. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, eventually that came to an end after two years ago, I got a uh, cut from the baseball team, which was, you know, kind of devastating at the time. Um, but that's what led to jujitsu because I knew like, I needed to find something else to do besides like hit, hit the weight room. And so, uh, so yeah, I found jujitsu at a random club on campus and got absolutely mangled by this like little, like Asian engineer, half my size. And, uh, I didn't feel so good, but like I, my mind immediately went to like, okay, if he can do this to me and I'm like kind of this big, like, I don't know, like weightlifter at the time, uh, cause in baseball, we were just lifting a ton. And, uh, I was like, imagine what I could do with this if I just like learned a little bit of it. So, so yeah, I like went home for the summer trained like twice. I've just found a gym that like had Gracie in the name. Cause I didn't want to learn jujitsu from some like American guy. So I was like, I need to find a Brazilian. And I went to <laughs> Gracie Baja and, uh, yeah, I got obsessed with it and like been, it was a hobby for a long time throughout my twenties. And then through a series of events and, um, some fortunes and misfortunes, it turned into uh, a career. So that's, that's, that's the high level of how I got here. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Uh, my story is not too dissimilar from yourself. I wasn't playing division one, but I was skiing competitively for my college and playing lacrosse. And I only made it two years on both of those fronts. I skied for two years. Uh, I was a ski racer all through high school, um, mm. in Massachusetts. And then I was, uh, and I was always a lacrosse player my whole life. And I was playing lacrosse for my college and hmm. that ended and then I needed something yeah. else and that's what led me to jujitsu as well so we uh we have that in common yeah were, were you like an ultra type a personality like you had to compete at something and just be like kind of like really it's funny I really I really wasn't actually a type a I, I I grew up uh in a group of friends that were so smart so talented and so athletic that I was always in the back of the pack. You know, my best friends all played division one lacrosse. One of them played for Harvard. One played, played for Maryland. 
Um, academically, they were incredibly talented. You know, Penn, Wharton, um, Amherst College, Harvard. And I, that just wasn't me. You know, we were all very close, but I, I wasn't that – I couldn't be competitive with them. I was always there, but I wasn't uh, – but maybe I had a chip on my shoulder or maybe I just didn't want to be fat. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I – in 2005, watching the Ultimate Fighter on FX at the time, that's when I really kind of fell in love with fighting. And mm. one of my best friends, one of my best girlfriends, her father uh, was doing this thing called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on Long Island. Now, I didn't know what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was. I passed by the academy all the time. I thought it was Capoeira, Capoeira, however you say that. I had yeah. no idea. It turned out it was Rodrigo Gracie's academy. And for all those years of my life, I could have been training with Rodrigo and Henzo. And it turns out that one of my dear family friends was training with a little upknown fighter named Matt Serra and John Donahar and all these people, these names that they were, they didn't mean anything at the time, but they were here in, in New York training. And, um, and so my sensei today, Nardu Debra, who I've been training with for 14 years, he was just one of the juniors in the room at that time. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how many, how many, uh, there's like these jujitsu giants that all of us juniors were like, now there's so many of us juniors, uh, like as black belts, we don't, it doesn't feel like how probably it, it used to feel like to be a black belt, because um, there's just so many of us now, but there was a yeah. time not too long ago where it was like, there was like, you know, the original, I think the Dirty Dozen, and yeah. there were just like 12 American black belts in the US, so. Sure. Well, uh, I've had some of those. I had uh, Ricardo Almeida on the podcast talking about those days, you know, and when it was Ricardo and Sarah and, um, oh, he was in LA for a while, uh, Sean Williams and, you know, all those guys in New York training. And it just, so it's like legendary stories. So it's really, it's just a cool, cool to be part of the sport. And though, even though we're in that next wave and that next generation, um, it's still young, you know, it's still such a young sport. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, it's an exciting time to be in it. So am, sure. am I saying your last name right? It's uh, Donabedian? Uh, yeah, so I don't even say it right, to be honest. I, okay. So I say Donabedian mm-hmm. uh, because that's just like the phonetic easy way to say it. But if you're being truly an Armenian, you say yeah. Donabedian. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, Donabedian is great for me. <laughs> yeah. So you have an Armenian background. That's fantastic. And I guess there's a big Armenian community in Los Angeles, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a yeah, very strong community in Glendale, East Hollywood, um, and pretty much all over uh, LA now. Um, yeah. I'm third, I'm third generation and I'm half, and I'm also half Italian. Uh, but yeah, my family moved to, uh, my great grandparents moved to the U S in the early 20th century, uh, like, you know, to, to escape the Armenian genocide pretty much. So, yeah. so I'm a, I'm a fully, Americanized white boy at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So um, you played baseball growing up. Did you wrestle or do anything, any other sports of that nature? No, no, I wish I did. But uh, no, it was was all baseball from an early age. I, uh, I specialized pretty early from like 12 years old on. It was like baseball year round. Mm -hmm. Um, I did some like martial arts younger as a kid and I never really enjoyed them. I did Hapkido, I did Taekwondo, um, and it was always just forms and doing, you know, just kind of like always theoretical. And every time I got in any kind of like 
I don't know, shoving match on the playground or any kind of altercation, like I was completely lost. Like I never want to fight pretty much in my whole youth life. Um, and I, so I pretty much just avoided fights, but I, I can imagine, maybe I wouldn't have liked jujitsu as a kid, but I, I do wish I like got exposed to it in some way. Like, you know, when I was, you know, 10 or something, yeah. I think I would have just loved it. I know. I wish uh, if I could go back. It's funny. I my uh, I went to a boarding school in Massachusetts called Cushing, and they didn't have wrestling, but they had had it in the past. And John Cena was a uh, a graduate of of my school, and he's still an active alumni. Wow. So you have like one of the biggest WWE stars in the world, uh, known for his you know wrestling, and and they didn't they didn't offer it. But I wish I would have known about it because I can't even imagine how much further I would be. I'm my son, my oldest son is four. And he's just about to start training. Oh man, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Are you married? <laughs> Kids? Uh, I'm not. No, no. Okay. I'm still, I'm uh, still single and dangerous out there. You know? All right, good for you. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool to uh, to have gotten your black belt before you got married. Uh, that's yeah. uh, that's a nice, you know, a resume builder for a potential mate. Yeah. No, I'll definitely. It's on. It's. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too shy about uh, bringing bringing that up at some point. Uh, you know, when I'm dating. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is an interesting topic, though. Um, you know, date, especially in your 20s, because I was in a long relationship in my 20s, and that's something I I think I remember in like chapter eight of your book. You mentioned like you know the mental drive driving to work after like getting out of a. Uh, a long relationship and that kind of resonated to me because I remember those drives and you're just like, I need yeah. to get to lunch. I need to get to dinner. And, uh, and yeah, things like jujitsu can, can help you kind of like get through those, get through those periods of life where you're just oh, like, yeah. what Patrick is talking about is that in my book, I talk about, you know, the mental part of the game and how, you know, you could be your own worst enemy and you're dealing with your own, the, the, the own, your own thoughts in between your head. And I was getting out of a, my college relationship and we're talking about now two and three years after our breakup, but I'm still reliving it in my head every day. It's just as real. And I'm driving to work at the time I lived in Manhattan and I was driving to my office on Long Island and every single day it'd be the same story. What she's doing. She must be so happy. She's going on these dates. She's talking to these people. And of course, none of it's actually happening. It's just happening inside of my head. And I would say the same thing every day to myself. It'll be okay by lunch. It'll be okay by lunch. Yeah. And what I would do, I'd pile my face with food. I would feel good until my drive home. Same thing, same repeat. Now all of a sudden I'm thinking in the car, what she's doing tonight? Why doesn't she want to be with me? And then all of a sudden, same thing. Everything will be okay by dinner. Everything will be okay by dinner. And then all of a sudden, I'm stuffing my face with food for dinner. And so um, my whole life changed when I read uh, Money, a book by Tony Robbins, and he has this like simple philosophy and he's like, where focus goes, energy flows. He says that, you know, and he just says like what you think about is manifest your thoughts. And so I started listening to books on tape like every day in the car and I get out of my own head and I found an incredible moment of growth in my life. Uh, those in my mid to late twenties, um, this period of growing my businesses and just, I became so thirsty for knowledge and thirsty for jujitsu. Jujitsu was a huge help in my life at that point too. And so I try to tell that story. Thanks for bringing it up because it's helped a lot of people over the years. And 
so many people, they just go on with their life every day and they're just in their own head and they're their own worst enemy. You know, I call it there. You're, you're the maker of your own madness. I tell them. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, I was like, you just think that it doesn't make it true. Just because you think that, you know, people have these like these beliefs that they ingrain in themselves. It's like they program in them in themselves. Uh, when John Donahue was on the podcast, we talked about this. He said, language is a human superpower and you, what you say to your team, to yourself, it, it is like coding. You're encoding yourself. And so I try to spread that message whenever I can. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. And I personally find it necessary a lot to like, I never thought I would be the type of person to do this, but I talk to myself so much now, like in the car mostly, um, because our thoughts hold us captive and, and because of like childhood past traumas, um, you know, your influences, your parents, your, uh, friends growing up, you just run these same thought patterns over and over. And I'm a very, you know, physical person. Like I need to like embody ideas. It can't just be listening or thinking. Um, I have to like either write or say things. Um, and so I'm, I'm always these days on these, you know, I'm listening to books, but I'm also like spending time, like talking trying to synthesize it and make the words my own. And um, yeah, cause man, I, yeah, jujitsu has held a lot of different meanings for me throughout my, throughout my career. But the thing that I most, I was always chasing, but now I'm consciously aware of is like, I was basically just trying to cure, find a cure for my mental health for like my pitfall happens to be depression. And, and I was always trying to figure out like, what's the gold, what's the silver bullet, what's the panacea. And there, and the, the, you know, the, the real truth is there is none, uh, but there are tools and there are, there is not, there is a, uh, a process and a journey to embrace and, um, I'm not sure where I, where I was going with that, but well, let me but, let me help you because I think yeah, you're developing yeah, sure. a good line of thinking right here. So, mm. jujitsu is very unique. I wouldn't say it's the only thing that's like this. Most sports are kind of like this, um, active team sports especially, um, where you have to be completely 100% focused on what you're doing. Right when you go for a run, it can be torture because the whole time you can be in your head thinking about all the things that I just mentioned. It's, it's such a mental battle. Um, tennis, it could be such a mental battle. You know, you're talking to yourself and, you know, that grueling golf, it is a mental battle. You know, you stand in front of that ball, your hands are shaking, you want to hit it. But in jujitsu, you are out of body. You know, you are in the flow state. Like you are not thinking or talking to yourself. You are maybe five or 10 moves ahead of where you need to be. And it's not to say you can't ever be thinking to yourself. Someone's on your back and they're sinking in a choke. You're, th you're talking yeah. to yourself. But um, it, as you're practicing jujitsu, it takes you out of your body in a way that I think is so magical. And it's like, you know, we call it like, hey, like, for those people who aren't as familiar with jujitsu, like, let's like do a flow roll. Like, let's just like kind of practice with each other. We call it flow, right? And you get into that flow state and it's magic and it, 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 it makes you, it's like medicine. It makes you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And that flow state means different things at different stages of your journey, as well as like who you're going against. Like 
my what's the one thing that I really care about is helping people in their like beginning, very beginning stage of jujitsu. When they like you barely it's your first week or first day on the mat even and like you just feel like you know and you don't have an athletic background you've been mostly like like my the way i launched my early my uh my coaching practice is i started an early morning six six a.m basically yeah uh, while you're talking about it i'm gonna pull it up oh sure uh yeah at at uh 10th planet hq at master eddie bravo's gym uh, in downtown la because they're just uh, 10th planet has always been kind of a, uh, you know, reputation of being innovative, um, and kind of a stoner culture. Um, uh, like before it was like mainstream, like Eddie was just all about, you know, it was very, uh, marijuana forward, which is, which is great. Um, but there wasn't a lot of, and so that, that attracted a certain type of individual people that are like up later at night. Uh, people that are, you know, have like our artists and they're free during the day and there was no early morning program. So I started a six, six thirty AM program. Um, and, and so that, that attracted a lot of like people from different walks of life, people that are like in their thirties and forties that have, you know, multiple kids and jobs and just like not nearly enough time to train. Um, and so, and so, um, so yeah, it was just like a lot of people that couldn't just click with jujitsu right away. And so I, I really put a lot of effort into like figuring out weight methods of training to reduce injury and also like make it fun, even when you're getting smashed, even when you feel like a kind of an uncoordinated fool, like a bag of glass. Yeah. Um, and there's specific methods to like get out of your head. Like one is like, okay, like try to commentate on, on what's happening in your head. Like you can't control that your opponent's about to like pass your guard, um, all the time. Like they just, they just dart around you and like time's moving so fast, but you can kind of like start to name the positions. It's like, Oh, I'm in side control now. Or I'm in mount. And when you name the position, then you're able to name like, okay, what's one detail coach taught in a lesson. It's just like a heuristic, like, you know, frame elbow on hip. Okay. I'm like doing something now. And, and you go from being in this panic mode, the survival mode to being in this like executive state, um, in your, in your mentality, in your prefrontal cortex. Um, it's something I've been like, you know, thinking a lot and learning about a lot lately. It's just like mm -hmm. putting yourself in a, uh, as much trying to put yourself in a, an executive state instead of a survival state, even when you're not very good at something. And that's just something I'm personally trying to do in my, in, uh, my business and in, be, in becoming an entrepreneur. So, yeah. uh, well, I want to ask so, yeah. you about that in a second, and maybe you can give us a really good overview of your business. We kind of jumped right into it, but I, I want to just unpack something that you just said, because I think it's a really uh, interesting insight for both business and jujitsu. And that's, uh, a great learning heuristic, which I've never heard of this. I've never heard anybody mention it to me. I've never read about it. And I'm so interested if it's something that you found or if this is something that you learned and that's naming the move of what's happening to you like can you break down as it's happening to you i think that's a brilliant uh learning tool um where where did you develop this or hear this um i think it's something i've i've so i've heard from multiple people in different walks of life um like i've i've sought like i said i've i've, I've battled 
depression at different points in my life, especially when I like went from uh, working a regular job and having structure in my life to like becoming a, a coach and having to run my own schedule and have this deal with the self-doubt of like, oh, who's going to want to, you know, buy my services or buy my product. Um, and so when you're in a, when you're in a depressive or an anxious state, um, you, it's someone telling you to be happy or feel love or feel, um, just like think positively. That's nice. But like to actually bridge that gap is all, seems almost impossible. Um, it's just like it, yeah, it is pretty much impossible when you're truly depressed, you're truly anxious. But one thing that we're all searching for more than I think happiness, more than I think, uh, you know, peace is we're searching for agency. We want to know that like, yeah, life, there's external factors, uh, that are, you know, there's people in our lives that are causing trouble. Uh, our, we're an enemy to ourselves in a lot of ways because of our thought patterns from, you know, our, how we grew up and things like that, but we can have agency. And one way to have agency is to just do a noting practice. This is something that I've learned from guided meditations. I've learned it from talking to therapists. I've learned it from reading certain books. And it's just like, just note what you're feeling and like, how does it physiologically feel? And once you start like just note noting or AKA noticing, Mm-hmm. then you, like I said, it puts you in this executive state instead of a survival state where you're not being reactive. And then you can start to think about, okay, what's a, I'm here. What's a potential, can I name the problem? And then can I test a potential solution? And, and yeah, like I said, in an executive state, you're able to start generating creative solutions to problems. And yeah, I think yeah. that's a, a brilliant insight and I've never, I, of course I know about taking notes, but I've never been in those sessions and I, and I've never read it or heard it. Um, but I can think about the power of what that does, um, to being able to break down. So if I think about, okay, someone's just passed my guard and now that now they're, you know, I'm in side control and I'm, I'm stuck underneath somebody to be able to break it down as a true beginner day one, you don't even know what you don't know. You don't know how to name what's happening to you. You don't know what's happening to you. It's like being completely blindsided. But as you begin to learn what's happening to you, it becomes like, I think uh, Zach Manslani said this on the podcast, where he's called the rub. It's like, it's rubbing off on you. Something good is happening to you. Like it's, you're getting the rub. And I think that's a brilliant um, way of, 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 of learning. So I'm really grateful for you uh, sharing this on here. So now, uh, before we move on in that sequence of events, um, for those listening in, I'm at Patrick. Uh, donabedian.com, D-O-N-A-B-E-D-I-A-N.com. And so explain what we're looking at here for those uh, listening and watching. Yeah. So you're looking at basically what's, what's the dream that we're all, when we think of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, when we think of like, you know, why would I get myself involved in this? We live in a peaceful society. Um, there's no war going on on this continent. Um, a lot of us live in safe communities. Like why would I want to, uh, why would I want to get involved with this? Well, it's like, we, we have this, like, especially men, we have this primal urge to just like be powerful, be dangerous. So that's, that's kind of like the dream that we all kind of like, if you lean into your ego, like, yeah, you want to be able to win a fight. And, but there's, we all have different paths to finding that. And so one of the paths you're looking at right now is like going straight to private coaching. Um, Cause I, 
I didn't start jujitsu. I started jujitsu in classes. Um, and I just kind of grinded because I was 20 and I just got smashed over and over. But there's a lot of people that, you know, can't just jump into a class um, because, you know, there were a couple of things. One is like very, very worried about getting injured. Uh, injury is a big problem in jujitsu. It takes a lot of it's your biggest basically it's your biggest impediment to like yeah. success because you're just gonna, you're not going to you're not going to be able to stay on the mat you're not going to be able to show up and showing up is how you win at almost everything um so so yeah so i i've built my you know i initially was able to become a uh build a livelihood as a as a coach not by op opening a gym but by just like really getting obsessed with private coaching and helping people just that like wouldn't normally have success in jiu-jitsu has success. So that's fantastic. So it seems like you have four verticals here. Are you still teaching your 6:30 AM class? I am. Yeah. And then you have your private coaching business. You have a concierge yeah. jiu-jitsu business and then you have an apparel line. I do. Yes. Yeah. The apparel line is very, and it's nascency. Um, but yeah, the concierge jiu-jitsu is for people that, you know, are so usually high net worth, uh, artists, entrepreneurs, people that like just don't have time to drive cross traffic town and traffic to the gym. And again, very, very health conscious time and health are like a major value for, you know, basically high performers that are a little bit, you know, in their thirties and forties and fifties. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm working on solving that problem and building a bridge to like, you know, still be able to do jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's so especially in Los Angeles. I mean, everywhere in the world, people deal with these problems. But I went to a talk last week. My sister was one of the panelists, actually, and it, she spoke alongside Joyce Zaria. I believe it's her last name. Her father was Max Zaria, the founder of BCBG, and she talked mm -hmm. about it's a you know huge multi billion dollar business. And at 29 years old, he tasked her with running one of the divisions, and she had incredible growth. Um, except she was 29. She was coming out of a messy marriage. She had a child um, and she had very little meaning in her life, even though all of her best friends were the celebrities and she's on yachts and she's in St. Farts. I mean, I'm, I'm recounting her story, but she told the, the, her talk was about finding meaning in her life through her religion. And I thought that that was an incredible and beautiful sentiment because she said, you know, the faster her life went and the more quote unquote success and fame that did not give her meaning. And I find a very similar thing in jujitsu where, uh, especially if you're a billionaire or a very successful person or high life to have something like jujitsu in your life is such a stabilizing force of constant beating the ego into submission, at least for me, um, when you're running businesses and you have, hundreds or thousands of people reporting to you. You have to cut major rent checks, payroll, everything's relying on you. It can feel like you, 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 I, I, I. And so to have an outlet where you're able to go and be part of a team and you just find out and that you're just not the shit, you know, <laughs> like, there's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody faster, always somebody stronger, always someone more technical. And I love that about jujitsu. And so, yeah, I'm interested to know. So how's the concierge business going? Uh, it's going really well. Um, I have basically what I've been able to do is, is figure out how to, you know, time is the most valuable resource we have. Uh, and I think most of us, uh, it's not that hard to, to start believing that uh, once you have some money coming in. And so 
uh, it's allowed me to basically uh, make my time more, uh, charge more for my time because it's, it's reaching a different market where they, they have, they have different needs. And, and um, so I've, without becoming a huge brand, because obviously like a celebrity or a famous jujitsu practitioner, someone like Gordon Ryan can charge, you know, $500 or a thousand dollars for a private uh, session. And, you know, there's going to be some, someone out there that's going to convert on that uh, because, you know, he's just, he's reached a lot of people and there's a lot of people out there with expendable income. Uh, but I've, I'm, I've, you know, gained a humble following my claim to fame. And I, is I competed for a while and my claim to fame is that I eventually, I want to qualifier, uh, uh, an EBI qualifier won the first round of EBI 14. And then I ended up facing Gordon Ryan and I lost to him. Uh, and so I learned a lot from that match. It was an amazing experience. Um, but I soon, after competing more, I soon realized like I get way more out of like seeing other people succeed than myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, I like winning. Uh, but like as far as the travel and the training twice a day, six days a week and all that, I wanted to like really focus on, uh, pouring into others. And so, uh, so there's a natural progression from just, you know, coaching people at the gym, helping them like break through in class. So then, you know, my web, I get, I have pretty good Google SEO for like private coaching in Los Angeles. So I get, I generate a good amount of leads through that. And I've, you know, I started just getting people contacting me like, oh, I can't make any of the class times. I can't get over to the gym. Is there any way like it could be at my house or at my office? So I train people at their, literally at their office, we have mats there. And it's like, I bring, I bring the gym to them and I make sure that, uh, they both get exposed to the real thing because my mission is not to water it down. Um, but I'm very precise with, you know, I give, I, I'm able to apply black belt precision to my, pr- the pressure and the chaos of jujitsu, um, and not injure them. And so you gotta get the best of both worlds. Uh, but yeah, it's ultimately a bridge to help them get the full jiu-jitsu experience, come to class, roll with a bunch of different people. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been, uh, I've been, it's very fulfilling for, for me, uh, learning from, from, you know, high performing people, um, about how they run their business or how they like hone their creative process. Like in LA, there's a lot of screenwriters. Um, and so, yeah, just work with those types of people and it's fun. Yeah, that's great. Um, in the, in the kind of business that you're in also, it, it also becomes about longevity, word of mouth, being there, you know, developing a track record. A lot of times, um, you know, guys in your situation or girls, they want to start a business. It could be any kind of business, by the way, from dog walking to legal work. Um, and, you know, they think that they're going to become successful immediately. But these kind of businesses take a lot of time to develop uh, positive word of mouth and the good karmic cycle of referral. And that can, you know, it's, it, it comes back around. I was talking about it this morning with a, a real estate broker down in Florida. And I had just hired somebody else. So she was surprised that I wanted to still follow up on the conversation with her. And I said, you don't know what's going to happen with that other person. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in two years, three years, five years. We might encounter each other over and over and over again. And to be able to have a good rapport with you, uh, we should stay in touch. Um, so often you give people that carrot and it's, it's so rare how many follow up 
and stay in touch and develop great relationships um, when given the opportunity. And so I don't say, say that business is easy. It's, it's exactly the same thing as jujitsu, blood, sweat, tears, injuries. I was saying to my wife today, you know, it's like you show up to that mat sometimes and that guy or girl walks in and you're like, oh, that guy again, you know, <laughs> the one that's beaten you a million times and you just, nope, I'm, I'm going to get humble tonight. And so that's business. You know, you walk in and you just know some of those days you're going to get humbled again. You just got to keep at it. So yeah, yeah you very keep showing up. Yeah. No. And, I, and just to add to that, like you do start to forget that as a jujitsu practitioner, because you start to reach a high level and you might already be experiencing this, but as you like, once you get your black belt, the famous line you say at your, you know, black belt acceptance speech is like, Oh, I feel like this is just the beginning. Or I feel like a white, I have a white belt mentality, but really like your ego does start to build up and you start to like not want to get humbled that often. Um, yeah. And you really have to be intentional about forcing, forcing yourself to like uh, keep finding like opponents better than you. I think you said in your book, like plus minus equal, yeah. find, like always have those three types of people to uh, train with. And like, that's something that I've like, I still struggle with. I still have to like figure out where, where I can find those three archetype training partners. Yeah. Um, That's uh, from Frank Shamrock. You know, that was his, his quote. And he said, you want someone better than you, you want someone equal and you want someone that you can teach. So the person, the, the, the minus is the, is your, the teacher, your equal is your training partner and your plus is your teacher. And you want to keep these roles in your life indefinitely. You always want to be seeking out these types of people. And, um, one of the things that I love to do, I still love to do it as much today as I've always loved to do it. And I've done it even as early as just a few days ago, which is visit other academies, you know, go out there and put myself in this situation. And no matter how many times I've done it, no matter how many countries I've done it, I've done it all over the world. I show up with my gi and my belt and I just say, I'm here to train. And those mm. butterflies every time. You know, I see people, they, they, they're sizing you up. They're looking at you and I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. You know, I'm like, I'm 6'2", 220. So I'm, they always find the biggest, scariest muscle mean guy. Like, you go with him. <laughs> mm. And, um, but that, that feeling when you, when on the other side of that is like where all the magic happens in my opinion, you know, putting, making yourself uncomfortable and doing things like that. It's so, like I said, with this, with this person in Florida, I just called her out of the blue. You know, I was like, Hey, I'm down in Florida. I'm trying to drum up some business. You want to meet for a coffee? And it's that, that feeling of, of reaching out and like putting yourself out there. Most people don't do it. It's really, I like talking about it because almost nobody does this on a consistent basis and entrepreneurs do it. Salesmen do it, but it's so rare that people put themselves out there because they're afraid of getting embarrassed. They're afraid of a whole variety of things, but, um, that's been a really important part of my jujitsu and my business. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it, it took, I, that, that message came through a lot in the book and the documentary uh, about like, just stay positive and just move forward and take action. Like even this, even this podcast, I, I've, I haven't done that many, I've done a few podcasts, but like none, like a kind of this, like kind of professional level that, that you carry it. And, uh, and part, part of me wants to be like, Oh, I need more time to like, you know, sound convey my ideas and sound brilliant and do and do whatever but it's like the only path to to that 
to becoming a better communicator is to show up and do this. And yeah. hopefully someone like you has the grace to, you know, let me stumble a little bit. Uh, um, listen, you have, you're not stumble. Just, this is just a conversation, you know? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I always tell people and guests, and I've had the, the, the privilege of speaking to the greatest minds in our sport, billionaires, Navy SEALs, they're just people. You know, they're exactly you. They're exactly me. They're, they have the same fears. They have the same problems. They've just unlocked little differences or had natural gifts or um, certain abilities that they were able to leverage. And I just want that all over me. You know, I want rub that on me. You know what I mean? Mm. And then sometimes I talk to people who are starting their careers or need a platform or just want to practice. And it's plus minus equals, you know, and it's it's a jujitsu room. There's white belts, there's blue belts, there's brown belts, purple belts. There's everything has to be in that. You know, you don't have a, a great gym unless you have all the components of the gym. And so having these conversations, I was very, very fortunate to grow up in a house with my dad, who is like this unbelievable entrepreneur and business person. But not everybody had that same benefit. Not everybody's family was in business. Not everybody was coached on entrepreneurs. It, it would be like you know, being Gordon Ryan's son and training jujitsu under Gordon every day or John Donahar's son. Like I had a John Donahar figure in my house. Mm. Keep course correcting me. Every time I would go stray, he would get me back online. Every time I would, he let me fuck up a lot, but every time yeah. I mess up, he would get me back online and get me back online. And so having that kind of coaching, I recognize how lucky I was. You know, I was so lucky to have that business mentoring. When my mom met my dad. My mom came from nothing. She was from Brooklyn. Her family was extremely poor. You know, she didn't know she was, they didn't know they were poor. They had a nice life, but they lived in a little tiny, tiny little brown stones, like 17 feet wide. Um, and when she met my dad, she said, all you people do is talk about money and business and money and business. At my mom's house, it was taboo. You were not allowed to talk money, business, politics. Those were taboo subjects. And so a lot of people in my gym, this is how this whole podcast and book started, my new book, these guys would come up to me and they'd be like, I, I know that you're a businessman. Like I have this idea for, I want to do like a t-shirt company. I'm a realtor. I want to flip a house. And so they would bring me their ideas and they would want to talk about it. And so I would just start sharing my experiences with them and they would be like, thank you so much. I don't even know who to talk to about this. I don't have anybody to talk to. Their parents were teachers. Their parents were civil servants. Their parents were in local politics or they, they worked in the hospital. And so not everybody is privileged to these conversations. And one of the beautiful things about the internet and social media is now you and I are just talking, but there's kids out there that are going to listen to this conversation and they're going to hear you talk about, you know, executive versus survival. They're going to hear you talk about um, this and they're going to like take a note and they're going to say, and they're going to, and they're going to learn from that. Right. Right. Like there's so much magic in podcasting. And, um, and so much positivity out there if you go hunt for it. You could go on TikTok and you could go find all the bullshit, but you could also go hunt for all the magic, right? And so like these conversations are magic for people. And even if you and I only reach one single person, like, right, mm -hmm. if only a hundred, I, I deal with this with my team a lot in my clothing business. I have 350 employees in the clothing business now and I have my managers. Everybody's making content. I've been encouraging everybody to get on all the social platforms and make content. And some of the managers confided in me. I only got 15 likes on that picture. I only got 50 likes on that, on that post. And I said, imagine if 50 people walked into your store and gave you a high five. How would that feel? They're like 50 people walking into the store in one day. I'm like, yeah. What if 50 people walked in and gave you a high five? They'd be like, that would be the best 
incredible. I'm like, well, that's what just happened to you. And so these, these platforms are, are truly magic. Um, and they definitely don't get enough credit. They get a lot of bullshit. Uh, yeah. Rightfully so. They have a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's a lot of magic that happens. Yeah, it's a powerful tool. And I've, I've mostly, I went, I dove into the content game and then I, I struggled with dealing with the one, just getting sucked into the vortex of scrolling the newsfeed and also getting addicted to the reactions and the comments and, and, and riding that kind of like dopamine roller coaster. And yeah. so then I went cold Turkey. I was just like, I'm going to just over deliver to all my clients and all my students and be an in-person in-person per, uh, person. But I, but the thing about, cause I like my motivation is not to become famous. Like I like fame would be nice and I'd enjoy it for like a minute, but I think it would quickly drive me insane. Cause I think it is celebrity is like some form of some, somewhere on the spectrum of insanity. Um, but when I view it as a tool for business, like the top of funnel and like, okay, I'm over delivering and I'm serving and fulfilling, you know, fulfilling the, on the client end and on the student end, like, where there's a stage zero to the customer journey and stage zero is kind of like how they find you and, and where, uh, you know, how you pique their curiosity. And that is the medium is, uh, YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. And so I am in this kind of white belt stage of like re I took a long break, but I'm going to go back into it, uh, very soon. And, you know, cause there's, I want to, my overall arching mission that gives me purpose. And what I do is like, I want to bring jujitsu to people from all walks of life. You know, mm -hmm. I, there's a lot of, like, like I said, initially it was men in their thirties and forties and fifties that like, I felt like were getting served and jujitsu was too hardcore for them. And, and I figured out how to make that available in downtown Los Angeles and through concierge. Uh, but I want to make it more available to women for self-defense. Uh, there's a lot of women that live in fear and, uh, and, you know, especially in LA, it's just not a safe place to walk around by yourself. And there's some really like simple things that don't require you to become like a, a jujitsu nerd to like, that might save your life. Uh, help kids, kids, especially that just like went through COVID and, and, you know, two or three years of their development was like stunted and get them like, away from screens and in, into on the jujitsu mat. Um, oh yeah. And so, yeah. And it, so in order to like really make a dent in that, it, it content is the means. And so, yeah, for sure. um, so yeah, thank you for that extra nudge to like, you know, actually go back to creating. Oh content. yeah. You got to just do it. And I, I put out a lot of content on it. I did a special episode with Tim oh. Hennessy on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, specifically about how to launch a podcast. Um, I wrote an article that came out last week for Forbes um, about, uh, like the steps that I use to find a virtual assistant, which it sounds like you need, uh, my virtual assistant, Nico is listening in her company is get magic, getmagic.com, I believe. And it's, you can go and sign up and get a great virtual assistant who can help you with all of the aspects of building your business. Um, as they always say, you know, it's, uh, you, you hear it all the time, but you want to work on your business, not in your business. So if you are in the business of making content and teaching jujitsu, well, then you shouldn't be editing videos and posting content. You should be doing it. Now, one of my other team members, Henny, shout out Henny is listening in and Henny is starting her career as a social media coordinator. She's going into the business of social media coordination at my company. And so she's helping with social postings and video cutting and editing and posting and, and creating content. And that's the route that she wants to go. And so 
the way to grow and scale is you have to take your hands off the steering wheel and you have to empower other people in your life to do these things. And I, just like you, I had a very hard time with digesting too much content in the feed. And so I try to take as much of that out of my hands as possible. Henny and Nico will be scheduling content for me on YouTube shorts and Instagram and TikTok. And I want to be on those platforms as little as possible, but I want my content to be getting out there as much as possible because I want to help as many people as possible. And, um, and, and I love business. I love entrepreneurship. And whenever I get these, I, you know, it didn't start out this way, but I have a lot of young people reach out to me, especially in, around college age who are coming out of college and want to start businesses. And that's the group of people that I've loved helping the most. And then the second cohort of people are people like yourself and me, like we're in the middle of our career. We're starting something. We want to help each other and we create a platform to talk about it. So just uh, listen, you said you're grateful. I'm grateful to have you on and, and I'd love to have you back anytime if you want to update us or share any information. I'm going to uh, share where to find you. So first and foremost, I shared your website, but I'm going to share your Instagram. Sure, thank you. And you are um, Patrick Donabedian BJJ on Instagram. Yeah. I have the page pulled up for those of you who are watching and I'll share all these links in the comments. Yeah, and it's the same on YouTube, just my name, Patrick. Same on YouTube. I got that pulled up here, yeah. too. Um, here's your YouTube channel. So, yeah, I'm going to get more active on there again. It's been... Yeah, you've got some great hiatus. videos on here. I mean, you've got videos that have tens of thousands of views, and you've got great fighter breakdowns and technique breakdowns, and so a lot of good stuff on here. I was watching one of your videos earlier today because, as you mentioned, injuries. You know, last year was a really tough year for me with uh, my knee. I blew out my mm. LCL, my PCL, and how, how, how'd that happen? Backside 50, 50, uh, uh, applied incorrectly. I, I was applying the technique and he just dropped, dropped his weight and it popped. I think it was like ready to go. Oh, he kind yeah. of was like turning out and he just like sat on it and it exploded. It sounded so like an LCL. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. That's a, uh, yeah. I have specific, I have very specific thoughts on like, like I'm one thing that I, do that might make me it's not like that surprising for 10th planet but like i teach i teach leg locks he looks on day one like yeah. i believe in exposure but the first lesson i teach i tell everyone like here's like i have the best uh like the best defense for you ever uh like here's the rule tap early tap often yeah and and just like get exposed i expose people early and the the rule one d with that is don't crank obviously yeah. Um, so it's like me, it's extreme ownership on both people's part, but, uh, but also like once you're deeper in the game and you know, you understand things about backside 50, 50, I have some other more technical philosophies that prevent some of those types of like chaotic injuries where the guy just drops his weight. Um, so yeah. yeah, at some, at some point in the future, I'd love, I don't know how much you do Nogi, but I would definitely love yeah. to, uh, that share them at some time and, and help you out with that type of thing. Oh, the next time I'm in LA, we should, uh, we'll do it and we'll record it and we'll put it up on the channels. Great. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So the last thing I'll share here again is your website. We spent a lot of time on this for those of you who are watching. And, uh, for those of you who are listening, it's uh, Patrick D O N A B E D I A N.com. And you can find all about, uh, Patrick 630 AM class in LA at 10th planet, his, uh, private coaching, his concierge jujitsu service, and please support his clothing line. Um, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Please come back again. Keep us updated on everything you got going on. And if I could be of service to you, you know where to find me. 
Thank you very much, Jordan. It's been an honor. Thanks. Bye.